Be salty and be at peace with the world. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. So perhaps being salty does not have the same meaning in Jesus's day as in our modern context. I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pastorman Podcast.
time we can all think of that one person or persons that every time we talk with them, we find ourselves becoming a little bit more salty. Most likely their name is Karen. Just kidding. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus is saying here. I, I really don't think Jesus' intention is him telling us to be salty. I don't think he's telling us to be annoyed with people. Now, if you read the Gospels, you're going to see moments where Jesus does indeed get annoyed with people. He gets frustrated with his disciples, and I'm pretty sure he at least facepalmed at least five times a day whenever his disciples spoke. All right? uh, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I don't think he's telling us to be annoyed with people, because he goes on to say what? He says, have salt in you, and be at peace with each other. So it must mean something different than what we think it means. He's essentially telling us, be salty and be at peace with everyone. So as we look at these two verses this morning, we're going to be trying to figure out what Jesus means by telling us to be salty, trying to answer the question of, can there be peace in the world? Can there be peace in the world? So let's kind of go back through this a little bit slower. Verse 49 says, everyone will be salted with fire. There, there are really two purposes for salt, right? One is it seasons or flavors food. It's what make, helps make food taste better. Unless you put too much salt, then it tastes terrible. But you, know, you get what I'm saying, though. I mean, you know, you've ever gotten eggs in the morning, there's not enough salt, and you're like, Bleh. get the salt out. Salt seasons food. That's the, first, that's the first purpose of salt. The second purpose is that it, it preserves food. Now, in Jesus' day, at the time where he's speaking to his disciples about this, understand this is Palestine. What we know about the climate of Palestine is it is a very, very warm place. Salt to preserve your food would be very, very important because they do not have refrigerators or Bob Vance with Vance refrigeration to make sure they had refrigerators. The salt preserved their food to keep it around a little bit longer. He goes, so notice Jesus says, everyone will be salted, everyone will be seasoned with fire. He doesn't make any distinction between those who follow him and those who follow the world. He says, everyone will be seasoned with fire. And the fire he is referring to here is, isn't like your little campfire or your, your fire that you use to warm up your house. He's talking about the all-consuming fire of God. The fire of God that burns so hot from, the, from his holiness that it consumes anything that is impure. It burns away anything that might taint or harm or that is unpleasing to him. When God comes into our lives, into our fellowships, or, if he, when, he come, and when, or when he comes at the final judgment, all that is impure will be consumed by his holiness. 
That's why God cannot be in the presence of sin. It's not that God, the all-powerful God, is powerless when he's in the room of sin. It's that God is so powerful, he's so holy, that when he is around sin, his holiness just gobbles it. Consumes it. Makes it into nothing. That's why he distanced himself from Adam and Eve in the garden. It was an act of mercy. But when he does come, our sin cannot be in his presence. He will purify us and consume us. Well, anyway, in the First Testament, I, I don't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. I call it the First Testament because when you think it's the Old, just call it the Old Testament, when you think about it that way, you start to think that maybe it's not relevant anymore. And the reality of it is that Jesus and the apostles, where did they preach from when they talked about the good news of the kingdom? They preached from the Old Testament. So I call it the First Testament. So there's a verse in the First Testament from a book called Leviticus. And Leviticus, if you want to go to sleep at night and sleep soundly, start reading in Leviticus. You will find yourself taking a quite the nap. But anyway, in the book of Leviticus, it contains instructions of all kinds for carrying out the rituals in the tabernacle. Rituals that you and I don't practice here. We don't sacrifice goats on Sunday mornings. That I know of. <laughs> I don't know what they do in Barry's class, like, but... <laughs> Amen. But there's a verse in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. This is what God commands the Hebrews when they make sacrifices to him. I find it interesting. It says, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Salt was, so salt was used by the Hebrews in preserving the sacrifice that they were giving to God. It gave flavor to the sacrifice they were giving to God. But also the salt was symbolic of the purification of the sacrifice that they were giving to God. Salt, that's why God tells them to make sure everything you have that you give to me, every offering that you send my way, make sure you give some salt to it. To preserve it, to give it flavor, and to purify it. Well, here in the New Testament, we live under the covenant of grace. Whereas in the Old, in the First Testament, they had the animals that they sacrificed as a placeholder for Jesus who would come. But we live in a day where Jesus has already come. He has died upon the cross. He has rose again, providing full atonement from sin so we could go and sin no more. We live in that area. That, that, that's where we live right now. That is the power that is available to us through Jesus right here, right now. The ability to go and sin no more and live a life pleasing God. And by the New Testament, you and I, rather than the animals, you and I, we become living sacrifices to God by the way we live our lives. And just as the salt was needed for the sacrifice of the Old Testament to preserve, to give flavor, and to purify, we need the salt in our lives. 
See, the salt in our lives, though, is not when you, I'm not telling you to go home and pull the salt out of your cabinet and start sprinkling it on yourself. That will do nothing. The salt that Jesus is referring to here, to here, in this moment, to his disciples, he's saying, you need to be salted with the fire of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who is God. The same Holy Spirit who is Jesus. He needs to come and dwell in your hearts and salt you with his purifying fire to preserve you, to give you flavor in this world. The Holy Spirit, he is the salt that purifies our hearts and our minds from sin. You and I cannot make the decision. You and I do not have the power in ourselves to quit sinning. We do not have the ability to go and sin no more by ourselves. We do not have enough determination. We do not have enough willpower. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, salting us, we can. And not only that, the Spirit, He preserves us through trials and persecutions. Right now, all across the world, there's Christians that are being persecuted for their faith. Yet in those areas, the church is growing faster than anywhere else in the world. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit is preserving their lives and their message. Despite everything that was happening around them. You see, we live in a world where sin is common. Sin is the natural state of our existence. That's why we don't have to be taught how to sin. We just know how to do it. It's the natural way of things. It is the common way of things. But God is saying, I, am, I have called you to be my people, my holy people, my people that are set apart, my people that are uncommon. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and purifies us. It makes us uncommon. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is what Jesus means by being salty. We are to be salty by being filled with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's go on to verse 50. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? And salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt is good. It, it adds flavor to food. It preserves food. It, it's a symbolic of purification. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, that is you and I. This is what, in the Nazarene Church, this is what we call being entirely sanctified. That's what, it, that's what it is. It's having the Spirit coming and dwelling inside your heart, renewing your mind, the salting with fire, the pure, the, uh, removing the sin from your life, removing that internal desire, that natural inclination to sin and do the things displeasing God. The Holy Spirit comes and gives you a new heart, 
One that is sensitive to the will of God because it is, a, it is God living inside of you. See, a common misconception when we talk about entire sanctification is this. We think because God has come and removed that, that desire to sin from our lives that we are incapable of sinning now. And that Jesus is saying quite the opposite. Jesus is saying that the salt loses its saltiness. Now, let, me, let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is God. He's the same God that spoke the earth into motion. Our God is not one to waste words for no reason. He's saying a salt can lose its saltiness because a believer that's born again, sanctified, can walk away and lose the flavor of the Holy Spirit in their lives. How do they do that? By choosing either to live in fear or choosing to go back to the life of sin. That's how we lose our saltiness. Now, having flavor, having, being salted with the fire of the Holy Spirit means that we walk each and every day in the power that the Spirit has given us to go and sin no more. If we mess up, we lose our flavor. All we have to do is go back to the place where we left it. The Spirit's there waiting for us. We confess our sins, and guess what? He will come and He'll pour out His Spirit on you again. But we have to be humble enough as Christians, humble enough as His followers to say, God, I'm not living up to the life that You've called me to. You may say, Jason, but, 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 but I don't have a sin nature, so how is it possible if I don't have a sin nature to bring me to sin? Do you realize that Adam was created without a sinful nature? He was made in the image of God. He was perfect. That's why Jesus, when he was born, was referred to as the second Adam. Adam had no sin nature. Yet, despite that, what did he choose to do? He chose to sin. That means even though you don't have a sin nature anymore, even though God's taken your old heart, he's pulled it from you and given you his new one. One that's, that's born of the Spirit. That means you still have to be able to make the choice to not sin. That's what the power of the Spirit is. The Spirit's coming into your life to empower you to not choose sin anymore. Sin is the reason why there is no peace in this world. Sin is why there is no peace in your life. If it's not your own sin causing chaos and destruction, it's the sin of somebody else impacting your world. And we just said it a minute ago, sin is the natural state of humanity. We are stuck on this broken setting. We're trying to achieve world peace without the real reason it's possible. We can't achieve peace with one another because we don't have the Holy Spirit who is peace to help us to do that. The world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it rejects Jesus.
Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5. He tells us when we're full of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling in our hearts and our lives, then this will be the fruit of that life. This will be the sign of what's going on in that heart and mind, that the person that's full of the Holy Spirit has love, joy, peace. It has patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And notice when Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits, it's not plural, because Rodney doesn't get one and I don't get and then I get the other one. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit is in your heart and in your mind, then He will be growing all of those things in your life. As a sign of His presence. Not your willpower, not your thinking, not because you read some self-help book or you called Dr. Phil. It's because the Spirit has filled you and is enabling you to live differently than this world. And that's what one of those was. It was peace. We need to have the Holy Spirit to have peace. Without the Holy Spirit, sin abounds. Civil unrest abounds. Chaos is in control. But when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, we have the Spirit of peace, the Spirit of the Prince of Peace living inside of us, purifying us from sin, preserving us from the sinful world that is outside of us, and sending us into the world as the flavor that the world needs. So the question that we are trying to answer as we looked at the text today is this. Can there be world peace? And the answer is, not without Jesus. Not without Jesus. We can't get there by ourselves. Because peace is not within us. Because it is not our natural state of existence. The only way that we can hope to have peace with one another is by allowing the Holy Spirit coming, for us coming and surrendering our lives to the power of God and letting His Spirit fill us and letting the natural byproduct of the character of God grow in our lives. When you and I surrender to the Holy Spirit, we become His dwelling place. In Colossians 3.15, Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. The Holy Spirit provides, connects us, and it connects us together. When I'm filled with the Spirit and Wilma's filled with the Spirit, it's not a different Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean we're going to see everything 100% eye to eye. But it means we, we trust this mission of the Spirit who is leading us. That is our peace. It doesn't mean we're going to come at it and do ministry the same way either. But we trust the Spirit who's brought us together to that point. I had a friend on the Pittsburgh district that I served in ministry with. And we... We served as district leaders together. 
And our job was to minister to the teenagers of Western Pennsylvania. And if you meet this person, he and I are very, very different. Especially when it comes to political thinking. But I was struck by something about this man. While we had different avenues coming to leading us and, and, and where the Spirit dropped breadcrumbs to bring us together to minister to those teenagers, when it came down to what matters the most, the message of Jesus, and how important Jesus was to the teenagers, that was what we shared in common. And all the things we didn't agree with, we were able to lay those aside. Why? Because the message of giving Jesus to those teens was more important than me being right. Than me, more important than me converting them to my way of thinking. It was the Holy Spirit between us and my life and his life and at work in the lives around us that provided the peace between he and I. And that's the same spirit that wants to put peace between you and me. Between me and my neighbor, me and my enemy. That's what the spirit is seeking in us and through us. We see the world, they can't achieve peace without surrendering to the will of God. They won't do it. They won't seek the Jesus who can set them free from the real cause of chaos in their lives. They want to obtain peace, but they don't want to deny themselves and stop pursuing their own happiness. Sin has blinded them to this truth to the point they deny the need to look for Jesus, and they even falsely believe that peace can be achieved without it. Any peace achieved apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from God, is doomed to fail. It'll last for a little while, but it's built on a house that is built on sinking sand. And at some point it will collapse. This world is flavorless because they do not have the Holy Spirit. Everyone is common seeking after their own simple desires and own things that they pleasure themselves with. Because they refuse to choose Jesus. But you and I, you and I, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, indwelling in our beings. And the miracle of it is this that through Christ's gift of full salvation, it's not, when I say full salvation, I'm not just saying the fact that He died on the cross to provide forgiveness of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. That was a fact when you entered this, this building today. That is a fact when you go home today. That's a fact whether you believe it or not. Your sins are forgiven and that gift is available to you. But the forgiveness of Jesus, the power of the cross, did not stop at just forgiving of your sins. Jesus came to set you free from it. And through his spirit dwelling in you, you can leave this broken, flavorless world behind you. And enter into the life of the Holy Spirit through His power, through His mind. And when you and I do that, when we accept this gift of full salvation, when we stop settling short of the full gift of God and let His power work in us, you and I, we become the flavor to the world. 
You and I become peace to the world. Because Jesus living in us is the Prince of Peace. And peace is only available through Him. Do you realize the world has only made it this far because God has used broken instruments like you and me to keep it going? There's through Moses who stuttered and who didn't want to go that he brought the law of God into the world. It's through broken prophets whose ministries were considered failures that he preserved his message of hope of the coming Messiah. It's through very ordinary people like you and I, fishermen and tax collectors, that the Holy Spirit filled with his power and drove them into the streets that God took the message of hope and the message of Jesus. And that same power is available to us and it wants to salt us and give, make, it, make us the flavor that the world is desperately seeking. For peace to have a chance, you and I must choose to be last and allow the Holy Spirit to purify our hearts from sin. It's through the Holy Spirit in our hearts that you and I can share peace with one another. We must choose to be salty. Being salty means you and I add flavor to this world through the power of Jesus. Peace with one another is only possible through Jesus Christ, and He lives in our hearts. And church, I'm here to tell you this morning, if he lives in your heart, ask yourself this question. Is your world better because of that? When I say, is your world better, I'm not just talking about your life. I'm talking about, what about your neighbor's life? What about your enemy's life? Are, are their lives better because you have Jesus in your life? And if you answer that question, No. And that means you have lost your saltiness. You need to be made salty again. Because if you really have the Spirit dwelling in you, you cannot sit still. You cannot keep your mouth shut about Jesus. You cannot stop from His love overflowing from your being into their homes and into their lives. So church, is your neighbor, is your friend, is your co is their life better because you know Jesus? What about Greensburg? The city of Greensburg. Is it better because this church exists? Is our community better because the Greensburg Church in Nazareth sits here on this hillside and car after car drives past it every day? If we answer that question, no, the church, we have lost our saltiness. We need to be made salty again. We're not going to be able to do that through programs or children's ministries. We can't do that by, by passing out flyers and handing out tracts to people uptown. The only way that we can be made salty again is if we humble ourselves before God and say, we need your spirit. Amen. Our God is faithful, and he will pour out his spirit just like he did on the day of Pentecost. His spirit will descend on us like tongues of fire. He will drive us into the streets, and we cannot help but share the good news with the world around us. Church, is that what we want this morning? I can't make you want that. I can't make you choose that. That's what I want more than anything else. 
I want to see lives changed through the power of the gospel. And I want to see hearts set ablaze. And this community better because we exist. You and I need to be made salty again. We need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And the good news is this. He is here. He is here to listen closely. He is here. He's calling out your name. He is here. You can touch him. And I promise you, this morning, you will not leave him the same. What you choose to come and accept the power of the Spirit in your life, to stop living half of the gift of salvation, choose full salvation. You can choose that and leave her different that way this morning, full of His power to live differently. Or you can choose to stay the same old same one. But this morning, you cannot all leave here knowing that there's a better way. Church, have I spoken the truth this morning? Let's pray together, God. On these next few moments, would you help us to, to not be prideful? To not worry about what our neighbors thinking. To not be afraid of, of viruses or anything like that, God. But to be humble enough to respond to your spirit's calling. Now, church, as we sing, if God's talking to you this morning, He's dealing with you in your life. He says, I want to, this power is available and you need it for me today. This altar is open. Church leaders, if you're saying you want the Holy Spirit to be poured out, then we need to be humble enough to surrender to His presence as you. Mind God as we say. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast. If you would like prayer or have a message for me, please uh, use the link in the show notes that says connection card. Uh, a special thank you to, to the Greensburg Church of the Nazarene for allowing me to be their pastor and to share this message with all of you.